So I work at Woodard Church, and if you want to really understand my life, uh, the first thing you got to know is that I met my wife while I was an intern at Woodridge Church. And then after we got engaged, uh, we planned our wedding and we got married at Woodridge Church. And then we, got, we had our first kid, our daughter, Shiloh, and she has been born and raised in the Woodridge Church community. It has been such a gift to grow up, be discipled in, be trusted in this network and and. Our church has been a huge blessing, and one of the great blessings of my life is knowing friends here at the Highlands. Um, I, I have loved getting to know your staff, and so it's just such a great gift to be here with you. I, I think there's some photos. Uh, this is my daughter, Shiloh, uh, and, uh, and then there's a photo of my son, Otto, and you're wondering, well, why don't you guys have a family picture? And I, come on. I'm just trying to drink some hot coffee in the morning. I don't have time for a family picture. Once we get the hot coffee situation locked down, then we're going to get the family picture, all right? But you guys know all about that. So I, I want to turn in Ephesians. We've been in an amazing series on the book of Ephesians, and I want to look at this passage with you guys. So I'm just going to read straight through verses 10 through 20, and you guys can follow along on the screen behind me. This is what it says. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And if you're an underlining person and you're underlining in your Bible, hit this, underline this right here. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Bow your head with me. God, I pray that this morning the impression that we would leave this building with is one of a greater awareness of who you are. God, I pray that you would open your scriptures to us, that you'd speak to us clearly, that we would know your love and your grace and your goodness, that we would be known by you. We would we would be loved by you, and God, that we would see clearly that we are also empowered by you. God, I pray that you would speak through me and that, that we would experience healing in this place. There would be salvation in this place today. And God, go ahead of us in this sermon, and if there's things that I'm going to say that don't matter, I pray that, God, I pray that you'd go ahead of me and you would just take those from our mind. And the things that you want to cement into our spirit and our heart, God, that that you would just write those across our hearts this morning. We pray these things in your name. 
Amen. So one of the great gifts of knowing Brody is that um, I, I have a good friend, but also I get exposed to all sorts of things in my life that I would never do. So one quick example. Uh, I just, and give me some grace here, I just probably would never ice fish. Now, there is nothing wrong with ice fishing. I grew up, my dad did that. But there was something that happened when, when, I, when I finally, you know, p- developed my prefrontal cortex where I thought about that activity and I was like, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I, like, you get suited up and then you dig a hole and the only thing keeping you from drowning and then you, like, sit in front of the hole in the cold. I, I mean, for me, I just go, wow. I can't believe that that happens. Right? Like, I, I, and, you know, I'm limited. I'm just a person. Like, I don't get it. And this is the thing. Knowing Brody has helped me to see that things are not always as they seem. Like, this guy, he gets done with work. He goes out on a lake mid-January, fishes for his dinner, and then he's at home by dinner time cooking up fresh fish. And I just thought, wow, there's clearly something going on with this activity that I don't see, that I don't perceive. And as we read Ephesians chapter 6, as we finish up the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul is saying something very, very similar to you and I today. Things are not always as they seem. You know, here I am looking at the activity of ice fishing, seeing nothing but discomfort. But the truth is, is there's a whole lot of stuff going on under the surface and in that activity that I just don't understand. And it is the same in our life as Christians. It's the same. There's a whole lot going on that we don't always perceive. Ephesians chapter 6 talks exactly about this. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the evil forces in the spiritual realm. And there's somebody in the house of the Lord that needs to hear today. Your battle is not against people. And maybe more accurately for some of us, it's not that person. That is not where the conflict is happening. Things are not always as they seem. There is a battle going on. There is a battle being waged over this world and over your life and over this community. But it is not happening in the way that you might think it is. There is a lot going on beneath the surface And what Paul says is he says, in order to engage in a fight like that, that is so different than the way that we engage in our life. It's so different than how we might perceive problems to be. We need very, very different weaponry to fight a battle so different than than we approach things. And so he talks about that, the armor of God. He says, you know, put these things on. This is how you engage in this fight. And one of the things that is said that is so powerful that I love is he goes, he goes, stand firm when the day of evil comes. It does not say if the day of evil comes. Do you know, beloved, that there is a day coming if it's not come, if you did not come in today, feeling the battle raging around you, the day is coming. The day is coming. It's not an if, but it's a when. When the day of evil comes, that you would be able to stand firm in the truth of the gospel. Stand firm in your identity in Jesus. Stand firm in the truth of scripture. 
And it says this thing, and when you've done everything to stand, the idea being that unlike every other people in the world, that we, because of Jesus, actually know where this whole thing is going. We know the destination. We know that in the end, we win. And so he says, okay, so stand firm. And after you've done everything to stand, and the image there is that in the battle against the forces of evil, after that battle is concluded, that you would actually be standing victorious, not beaten down, not defeated, not wounded, but standing victorious over that battle. Amazing. And and this passage is so powerful and beautiful. I've heard so many good sermons on the armor of God. You guys have heard one right here from Laurel Bunker. And there's so much rich depth to talk about when we talk about the armor of God. But there's this little part at the end that I want to focus us on today as we wrap up the book of Ephesians. And, and it's easy to miss it. And what happens is Paul goes, suit up in the armor, get ready to do battle, right? Be ready to stand firm, get ready for when the day of evil comes, you know, put on that helmet of salvation. And you know, if you're like me, you're imagining like that Roman soldier suited up, ready to go. You got the sword, you're like, yeah, scripture, and it's written on my heart. Let's go. And verse 18, he says, and pray. And, <laughs> and I don't know about you, I don't know where you're coming from today. But depending on where you're coming from, like some days how I feel, that feels a little bit anticlimactic. I mean, there's something about imagining like a knight in a shining suit of armor sitting down that just makes me feel weird. God has a rich truth for us today about prayer. But before we get there, we need to pause and address something else. I grew up in the church. I've grown up in Minnesota my whole life, and I grew up at a, a church um, that was super uh, religious. It was all about the rules, and I grew up following a lot of rules when it came to knowing God and how to dress at church and all of these things. And as you can tell, that you know that hasn't translated into adulthood. But um, I grew up feeling and thinking that church was incredibly boring. I thought it was just mind-numbingly boring. And there was, you know, I even went to a different church for youth group, and I was so convicted about the boring reality of churches, I just went up to my youth pastor one day, and I go, man, do I have to read the Bible? It is so boring. And, <laughs> you know, praise God for my youth pastor, right? To have a youth kid come up and go, you know the Bible, this whole thing we're doing here? That's boring. Do I really have to do that? And, and I just, I felt that deep inside me. And so I have, this, I have this grace when other people share that with me. You know, as a high school pastor, I hear all the time. Students come to me and they go, you know, I tried inviting my friend to church, but they just said, you know, I'm not really into church. Church is boring. And there, there are whole groups of people, the lost world, is filled with people whose impression of what happens in this space, whose impression of the life of Christianity, the life lived with the God of the universe, their impression of it is that it is incredibly boring. And for many Christians, we have the same experience. And some here today, maybe you, you actually feel bored with your faith. 
feel disengaged. And so here comes this young whippersnapper all the way from Medina, Minnesota, and he goes, it's time to learn how to pray on all occasions. And you're like, oh, right? I mean, I heard a pastor say recently, he goes, if you are bored with your faith, God is definitely bored with your faith. We're talking about the creator of the universe. He speaks and things are created. He breathes out stars. There's nothing that is impossible for him. If you are bored with your faith, God is definitely bored with your faith. Here's the truth. God is not boring. Prayer is not boring. Our problem is that you and I, we are so limited in our perspective. We're so limited by our own ability to discern and see what is true. We can't actually step out of that. We're stuck within our limited perspective. We're preoccupied. We're distracted. We live in fear rather than hope. We're discouraged. Man, we're consumed by the activity and the offerings of this world. And the volume of those distractions is only ever turned up. The stats that I read sometimes as a pastor about how we use our time when it comes to our phones, the amount of time we spend looking at this device, especially for teenagers. And it's not like, and I know what you're thinking, right? Well, I do my emails on there. I get business done. And that's true, you do. But the stats that I'm talking about are the ones that are just talking about time-wasting, social media, entertainment. The stats are horrifying. How much time is dumped into getting a dopamine hit in our brain? Things that are designed, technology that's designed to access your biology in order to keep you plugged in. We are totally distracted. And at the same time, the truth for us, the gift that we have access to through Jesus Christ is the knowledge that God is infinite. He is truly original. He is exhilarating and amazing and wonderful and powerful. God is not boring. But sometimes we are. In order to understand the truth about prayer, its power, its significance, we just got to take a quick pause and talk about who you are. And in order to talk about who you are, we got to talk about who God is. And that brings us all the way back to the beginning of the book of Ephesians. Because here we are at the end. So we got to go back to the beginning. In the beginning, Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says this amazing thing. He goes, you were chosen before the creation of the world by God. Before God created anything else, he chose you. And he chose me. And then, in the midst of our own brokenness, we were chosen again by God. He didn't allow sin and darkness to separate us from him. And so in Ephesians chapter 1, it says right away, you were chosen twice before the creation of the world and again in Jesus Christ. You are chosen. The God of the universe in all of his originality, all of the wonder of who he is, the exhilarating, powerful, creative, amazing God chose you. And in Ephesians 2, because of his great love for you, despite the fact that you were by nature deserving of wrath, dead in your sin, 
He raised you to life in Christ Jesus by grace. You are chosen. You are saved. The God of the universe looks down on you with love. And he gave up, right? He entered into the story of humanity. He became an incarnate human in order to pay the price for your sin on the cross because you matter to him that much. You are chosen. You are purchased with Christ's blood. And not only have you been saved by God's grace, but it says that when you are saved by God's grace, when you are made alive by Jesus Christ, he actually joins you in his own life. And Ephesians chapter 2 says that you are then raised to the right hand of the Father and seated with him right now if you are in Christ Jesus. Who are you? You are joined in the Trinitarian life of the creator of the universe. You're not on the side, you know, you're not like far off, like just as a fan of God. He's actually drawn you into the very center of who he is in Christ Jesus. You are chosen. You are loved. You are sacrificed for. It doesn't stop there. I mean, you got, this guy just won't stop. Well, it doesn't stop there. Not only have you been joined into the Trinitarian life of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but he actually sends his Holy Spirit to dwell inside you. And in 1 Corinthians, it says that your body then becomes the temple in which God's presence touches the earth. See, God's plan to see his kingdom come and his will be done on earth is you and it's me. Who are you? Chosen sacrificed for, raised to life, joined with God in his own life, and empowered to make a difference. All because of the wonder of who that God is. You are raised to life for a radical life, and what does that radical life look like? That radical life looks like a life of prayer. And it doesn't make sense to us but when we are aware of who God is, his activity in the world, what he has done, something begins to change. We begin to see that things are not as we expected them to be. The things that we believe about ourselves, worthlessness, the need to earn our place, all of those things are cast aside when we understand the truth of who God is. And we are made alive by his grace and his love. You're not created to waste your time away. Or carve out your little place in the world. You are created to see the kingdom of God come on earth by the power of the Holy Spirit. You have been raised to life and joined with God in his life. There is a purpose for you. There is a place for you. You matter. And there is no one who can do what you can do by the power of the Spirit. The radical life of God. The risky, challenging life of God is a life of prayer. And maybe you're going, okay, well, I'm still not convinced that prayer is radical. And so just hear me out. In prayer, you come before the creator of the universe. In prayer, you, you, you kneel down before the maker of heaven and earth. The one who has created everything. The almighty God, the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you go before him in prayer. And in that space, you got to realize that to be in the presence of a holy God is not safe. 
It's not a safe thing to kneel down in front of the God of the universe who is holy because all of the parts of you that are dark, all of the parts of you that are full of sin, all of the parts of you that are not like him will be exposed. If you are not ready to die to yourself, if you are not ready to be seen for who you truly are, Prayer is going to be a scary place because you are going to be in God's presence, but it's in that place of intimacy that God begins to form you and shape you because he doesn't meet you there in judgment. He doesn't meet you there to, to, to layer on and make you feel guilty and ashamed. He meets you there in love and in tenderness. And in prayer, it's a space of challenge, but it's also a place of risk as we are truly known by the God of the universe. And in the same way that Moses in the book of Exodus comes down off the mountain and he is physically changed, his his face is shining with the glory of God, you will be changed. You will be changed by prayer. You will be changed by spending time in God's presence. You will be made more and more like your Father in heaven. Prayer is not safe. Not only is prayer risky in that way, but prayer is powerful like nothing else. And I could tell, we could could go around this church for hours just telling stories about the power of God and how prayer is the space that he moves. But instead, I just want to remind you of a couple things. In the book of Hebrews, it talks about your relationship with God. And what does it say? It says that you can just go with boldness before the throne of God the God of the universe. You can just go to his throne. And you can just go there and you can share your thoughts with him like a child would with their father. Romans chapter 8 says there's nothing in all creation that could separate you from God's love. And in Matthew 18, it says that when two or more people are in agreement about something on earth, it is so in heaven. You have access to God. He is listening to you. He wants to be with you, and he is waiting to hear what you have to say. And in Ephesians 6, what we learn about prayer, right, it's a place of intimacy with God. It's a place of transformation with God. It's a place where we are formed more into the likeness of God our Father. It's a a powerful act, and it is also a battleground. I believe that God... I think that God brought me here today and gave me this passage because he wants you to be people that pray. I do think that. But more than that, I think that God wants to take this church and he wants to take your family and he wants to take you and he wants you to be a prayer warrior. I think he wants this community to be an army of people who pray. See, there is a battle going on here in Delano. There is a battle going on in your family. There is a battle going on over your life, and it cannot be fought with the weapons and the tools of this world, and it cannot be waged according to your understanding and your strategies. The only way it will ever be won is by picking up the weaponry of the Spirit and getting down on our knees and fighting as we are told to fight by Paul according to the power of the Spirit. And so in Ephesians 6, 18, Paul gets into it. He says, in light of everything I've said, right, I'm closing my letter to the Ephesians, right? I've talked about who God is. I've talked about your identity in Christ. And now, as I end, remember, pray.
pray on all occasions. And yes, I think this is talking about frequency in some way, but more so when I read this, my impression is that this is actually a description of your ability to make a difference. Do you know today that by the power of the Spirit, there isn't a single circumstance and there isn't a single moment or situation that you can't make a difference by the power of the Spirit? When you walk in the room, when you get down on your knees and pray, there's not a thing that cannot be changed. There's not a thing that cannot be moved because the God of the universe is listening to what you have to say. You have influence that others do not have. There are people in this city that do not have God listening to them the way that you do. There are people in your family that do not have access to God through Jesus Christ the way that you do, and they need him. And the battle is raging around them too. There is a battle going on, and we are empowered by the Spirit to engage in that battle in prayer And so in in verse 18, Paul says, he goes, so be alert. Are you aware? Right? To become not just a prayer, but a prayer warrior, it is important to be alert, to be aware of what is going on. Are you aware of what God is up to in your family, what the enemy is up to in your family? Are we aware of what the enemy is up to here in this community? Are we tuned in to his schemes and his strategies as he tries to take relationships formed in this place and turn them against us and use them to beat us down and to separate us rather than unify us? Be alert. How has God uniquely positioned you to fight in prayer? So when it comes to being a prayer warrior, I have three thoughts for you. Here's the first one. To be a prayer warrior, to do what Paul is talking about in Ephesians chapter 6, to do what he says in verse 18, prayer needs to become a reflex. Just like a soldier trained and disciplined in combat, we need to be ready to fight on all occasions and aware that we can make a difference on all occasions. And I just got to ask you, is prayer your backup plan? Or is prayer the place that you make your plans? When you came in here today, was prayer your backup plan for your family? Was prayer your backup plan for deciding where, how you do the school year? Was prayer your backup plan for your neighborhood? Was it the backup plan for this church today? Being a prayer warrior means realizing that prayer is not the thing that we go to when nothing else works. It is the first thing we do. It is the place that we make our plans. Prayer must become a reflex in our life. And one of the simplest ways we can do this, the way we can go from being a prayer to a prayer warrior, is to just, in the moments that you learn that someone needs prayer, just go, hey, can I pray for you right now? To build in yourself a muscle memory for prayer. The second thing is this. In the, in the example of Jesus Christ, we need to remember that presence precedes power. Presence with God precedes the outpouring of his power. Jesus is always our example. And in Luke chapter 5, verse 16, it says this amazing thing. It goes, Jesus would often withdraw just to be with God and pray. See, Jesus had a reflex and and, and an intuition to know that he needed to be intimate with his father if he wanted to see things happen. We see that at his baptism, and we see it in the Garden of Gethsemane as well. Where does Jesus go before he goes to the cross? To his knees, before the Father. 
Don't expect to see amazing things if you are not prioritizing your relationship with God. Don't expect to see miracles happen if you are not intimate with the Father. Prioritize your Bible reading. Prioritize your prayer. Spend time in worship. In order to make an impact for the kingdom of God, we need to prioritize our intimacy with God. And finally this, consistency is more important than intensity. To be a prayer warrior, to grow in our reflex, to understand where power truly comes from, we need to not have big, elaborate, flashy moments in life. We need to be constantly being formed by God's presence in the nitty-gritty and the day-to-day. Verse 20 of Ephesians 6, something really powerful happens. Paul says, please pray for me. Something that every prayer warrior is going to know is that they do not fight alone. Who are you praying for? And who's praying for you? If you don't know the answer to that question, at the end of today, I hope that changes. I don't know what the battle in your life is like. I don't know what the battle here is like because I'm just a guest, but I know there is a battle. And it's not an if, but it's a when. And God wants to transform this community. He wants to transform your family. He wants to see his kingdom come here in this place by the power of his spirit at work through you. And his plan to accomplish that is you and I on our knees in prayer. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, um, there's this story where David goes out to fight this giant named Goliath, and the king of Israel goes, okay, before you get out there and fight, dress up in this armor so that you're protected. And guess what happens? He puts it on and he goes, this armor doesn't fit. It does not work for me. And some of you have dressed yourself up in the armor of the world. You've chosen to fight your battles, not according to God's way, not with the spiritual armor that he prescribes, but with other things. And that's the reason it hurts. That's the reason it's confusing. That's the reason why it's not working. It's because that armor doesn't fit. And it's not the weaponry that can be used to win this fight. There's a girl in the youth group that I pastor, and the band is going to come up as I tell this story. Um, She was depressed, she was anxious, she was full of fear, and she had a lot of suicidal thoughts, and um, you know, as youth pastors, we tried everything. Just about. And we had this experience one time at my apartment, where, where my wife and I, we had this experience where God brought us back to Ephesians chapter 6 and showed us that there was something else going on in her life. That it wasn't just she was afraid of stuff. It's not that she just had too much homework and was anxious. There was actually a spiritual battle going on for her. And the battle changed. And instead of trying to, to friend her and coach her through these struggles, we, we laid off and we just started to pray. And that was the first moment that I remember that her life changed. She started to smile for the first time. There's a battle going on, and the only way to fight it is in prayer. 
And what I want to invite you to do today as we respond and worship is this. If you have come in and you have been wearing the armor of the world, if you've been holding the weapons of this world to try to fight off the enemy, the brokenness in you, in your own life, I want to invite you to lay those things down, to repent of them in worship, and to choose to fight this fight as as Jesus does. And to choose to fight this fight as Paul commands the Ephesians on our knees in prayer. And so what I want to encourage you to do is is as we worship, actually maybe just ask the person next to you to pray for you. And if if that's weird for you, that's cool. Come find me. Come find Brent. He's over there. I'm down here. We would love to pray for you because you do not fight alone. And the first step that you can take today as a prayer warrior is claiming that truth. That you are not alone. You are with the Father, but we are also with you. So God, we pray that you would move in this place. That you would open our eyes to see what is most real and true. And that we would cast aside the ways of this world, the armor and the weaponry of this world. And God, instead, we would turn to you. We would be equipped by you. We would be empowered by you. And that you would meet us right here in intimacy. You'd give us the courage to ask for prayer. And God, that this would be a a moment in the journey of this church making a great, great impact for your kingdom here in this city. But God, also we ask for impact in our families. God, we pray these things in your holy name. Amen.